Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Junior Disability Minister Anne Rabbit has said the health system needs to be held accountable for waiting lists and warned that children's autism services are being affected by staffing issues. I do not accept, she said, any parent receiving a letter being told their child won't be seen until 2024 or 2025, as that is woeful neglect to put that on paper, according to the Fianna Fáil TD, who we'll be, we will be talking to. She will be in the studio with us next week at some point. And parents have been speaking out about the significant delays they are experiencing accessing services for children with autism. Some say that children have received no therapy since the pandemic started, while others have reported waiting up to three years for an assessment. It's not today or yesterday that disability services or accessing assessments have been wrong. It's been wrong and the long delays have been there before, according to Anne Rabbit. And I'm genuinely trying to change it, she said. She recently conducted a census of employees and found that uh, child uh, autism services are operating at 75% staff capacity. And the plan for 2022 is to fill approximately 230 posts. That will be a 50% increase in jobs, uh, in people in jobs delivering the services, she said. And a father of four, a four-year-old, should I say, a father of a four-year-old boy who has autism says delays accessing vital services are having a detrimental impact on his son's development and their family life. James Spalding from Santry in Dublin has accused the HSE of leaving it up, it all up to parents as he spoke out about how the health system has basically failed children. Himself and his wife have been told by the HSE that they must wait 38 months for an assessment. 38 months. It's more than three years to get an assessment. And James joins me on the line. James, good afternoon to you. How's it going, Niall? Are you well? What a shocking shock. I mean, I can't imagine being told you're going to wait over three years just to get an assessment. It's worse. It's actually much worse than that, to be honest, Niall. Like, um, I was just talking to um, Ashley down the line. She, she kind of said, like, hold on there. You've got too much to say. Wait for Niall. But, um, like, it's actually much worse than that, Niall. Um, like, at first, it starts with, like, in our case, like, his symptoms started well before he was two years old, which was when we actually copped on what was going on because... And when, when, yeah, when he was two. So what, what did you notice when he was two? I mean, what made you think... Before that, to be honest, we noticed things. But as parents, like, you know, your kid is this, you know, perfect little bundle of joy and you just... Like, you, you, you tend to brush off any comments about different things in his behaviour and stuff and kind of be like, ah, oh, no, he's just tired or, you know, whatever. Mm. But, like, the signs were there from a very early age and the public health nurse, bless her, like, she's a lovely lady. Like, she knew from an early age, but... She's, her hands are also tied, like, cause they're, they're not allowed to officially say anything until after two years old. So when he was approaching two years old, he was on, like, his, maybe his fourth developmental check, as they call them. Yeah. And he was miles behind on all the so-called developmental milestones at that point, right? Um, so she knew already. So she, but she just and did, did you know his parents, too? Was he, I mean, when he was supposed to talk, when he was supposed to walk, when he was supposed to sit up on his own, did you notice know. those things different? Yeah, you do. You do notice. But you see, I don't know if you have kids yourself. And three, you, yeah. You, yeah. yeah you, know, you notice, but, you know, you, you tend to kind of find it very difficult to admit that there's something wrong. You yeah, just think, no, I've been oh, there. I've been there. I've been there. We'll just help yeah. more. And we'll just, you know what I mean? We'll just dedicate more time. And, like, at the time, I actually, like, left my job after he was one because I was like, I'm going to go down the entrepreneurial route because if I, if I start my own business I have some savings at least I can dedicate more time to being a dad because I was only seeing him for an hour before I go out to work in the morning and then about an hour when I get home 
and it was you know it was overloading my wife's life and she was burnt out and I was like this is just not going to work this way like so yeah like I started dedicating more time at the time this was before we knew what autism even was like I didn't even know anything about it you just wanted to share the load so to speak yeah I get you yeah basically yeah. and that's how we've been managing since like but at the moment like it's 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 pretty bad to be honest like our, our situation like because we're just kind of we don't know what to do and we've just been trying our best since then like and that's like that's three years ago like pretty much like so when he was two anyway which is uh like january 2020 um we had a birthday party and just after the birthday party a friend um a mum and dad actually friends who couldn't make it came to visit um johnny and alini they're lovely and they were like when they were leaving they were saying goodbye to him or whatever and he was getting a bit cranky or whatever and she just commented to him and she was like, you know the way Nick kind of doesn't really make much eye contact? Like, it yeah. would be, you know, it'd be interesting if you just Googled around and had a look and like maybe looked into maybe what autism was and some of the signs. And I love her. Like, she's such a lovely friend and she did it in such a polite way that she... she in a she caring managed, way, yeah, yeah. She managed to break the ice and be like, okay, and she kind of sparked the interest. So, like that day then, I looked up all the different characteristics and all online and, you know, just the flapping and stuff and the sensory overload and sensitivity to sound. Uh, picky eater because the sensitivity to textures of food, uh, sensitivity to lies, the clothes they're wearing, everything, yeah, uh, everything. Difficulty sleeping, uh, difficulty getting to sleep, uh, over activity, like way too much energy all day, like all the different things, you know. And like I broke down in tears, like on that day, like because I was like, oh man, like and not. I wasn't pissed off with the public health nurse for not telling me or my mum. Or anybody who didn't tell me, because I understand people are trying. Were well, you to, annoyed with yourself for not noticing I was, it sooner? I was kind of annoyed with myself because I was like, "Shit, if I hadn't known earlier, then." At least well, I don't. I don't think I, you could have done. It. I wouldn't blame yourself for that. You you couldn't have done anything more. You know what I mean? I know, but like that's the feeling that you have. You're like, well, if I hadn't known fur- like further back, like then at least I would have been able to change my approach as a dad and whatever. But you know, we just do our best. Um, so like from that point on, um, I was like, okay, well, we have to go and speak to the public health nurse again and say like you know all these different things that you were highlighting to us I've looked it up it was obviously autism like why didn't you just tell me like mm. that's what I said to her like and she was like oh yeah well we can't diagnose until after two and I said no I don't care about a bloody piece of paper that tells me his diagnosis in more detail mm. if he has autism we have to change the approach as parents we can't just if an like a neurodiv- neurodivergent person that's what they call it as well in the field like someone yeah. who's a different a different type of brain we can't just keep forcing them to do the things that a typical child would do to reach those milestones it's a completely different approach of course it is yeah that's why there's specialized schools and you know specialized areas and the different and every child i mean not yeah. even in relation to autism but every child is different and the approach to teaching every child is different i had difficulties with my own son for example who now by the way has a really good job gets paid more than i do but in saying that at the start you know, he was seven years of age and couldn't spell properly. So I had to bring him to a specialist and teach him how to spell properly, but using a different method to the way the school were doing it. And I spent hours every night doing that with him uh, for months and it worked. So it's a different approach to how you teach a child and how you, you know, I, and I, I understand with autism, that's a lot more difficult. I, obviously, I'm simplifying it a little bit. Well, no, it's, it's similar, yeah, because it's literally like there's specialised approaches and, you yeah. know, even the parents and for the specialists and stuff. So, so we were like anxious just to just like change our own approach. So like we started studying. My wife is qualified in psychology, so she bought like hundreds of books and we were like reading, we were doing online courses and all this kind of stuff at the same time as trying to parent and obviously do all the rest of the things you need to do in life. But we were trying to, you know, learn as much as we could and read and change our approach so that we can help them just to be a happy and 
free and independent little person like because I think the, the main the, my main kind of um, and what's what's your fi- by the way in, James I, I, I know when you're a parent and when that happens and I have a daughter with dyspraxia as well I, and you immediately start thinking of their future and, exactly. and what you can do right now to make their future better because okay in certain circumstances you know to yourself say that your child is not maybe is not going to be an academic but what are they good at and what can I harness and what can I embrace and what can I you know focus on to make them a better person when they're older and that's really what you want to do isn't it yeah no focus on the strengths like cause yeah. you know, at certain things like it just might not be like average at everything like no. a typical child like a typical child is average at everything and maybe excels at one thing, whereas, like, an autistic child generally excels at, like, a few small things yeah. extremely well and struggles at everything else. Yeah, and, particularly and with the social aspects of life, yes. Yeah, and it's not fair to just be kind of like, oh, well, like, the, the feeling that I get from the system in general, from the, the public sector, from the HSE, is kind of like, like, all of the forms that they ask you to fill out give you this message. All of the assessments after assessments for referrals to assessments to referrals to teams of early intervention in inverted commas to further intake assessments that are going to happen when the child is probably five, six or seven years old. All the message that you get is basically, you know, oh, we know what's going on, but we kind of, we're not going to actually do anything yet. We're going to just kind of wait a little bit longer and then check again and see how you're getting on. To and point, to point out, by the way, you can get an assessment if you're willing to pay for it. Oh, yeah. I did. We went yeah, yeah. We went no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not talking about. I'm not having a go at you, which I think is an unfair system. By the way, you can go to say see a child psychologist if you have a young child and you can pay seven or eight hundred quid to get an assessment. But if you want to wait on the public list, you could be waiting a long time, which yeah, is which is shocking. The thing is, the diagnosis won't change anything, and no. they even. Re- they changed their, their their approach, which is which is admirable. Like they have now identified that that is ridiculous to wait for a diagnosis to actually assess a child's needs because the child might be di- might be diagnosed with something else, but they still have special. Okay, so needs. so get to the point where they've told you that you're going to be waiting thirty eight weeks just to get an assessment. That's not to actually do anything about it or to help him in any way. Well, so 38 months, so the first, so the, the public health nurse went went in and spoke to her. This was early 2020. And she was like, okay, well, how about I'm going to refer you to somebody who's like really good in this field, um, Dr. Toyin. He's a, a gentleman from, he's a senior medical officer. I found out later from his report. And um, he, he, we had an appointment in March. So he went in as the 3rd of March, 2020, prior to the whole pandemic thing. It was just at the beginning of it, to be honest. And then um, he was like uh, really, really good on today. And I was also super prepared. Like I knew everything about autism already at that point. It's, yeah, it's, you feel like an expert, don't well, you? <laughs> and I was kind of had too many things to say or whatever. And he was like, okay, slow down, slow down. I understand, I understand. And like, it's really cool that you you know what you're talking about, but let's just go step by step. And he was really, really kind on the day and he helped us. He was like, look, there's going to be long waiting lists for you to get access to any treatment. But the best way to do it as fast as possible is for me to make a report today um, stating all the needs that he has, which is like uh, regular occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, child psychology, um, and um, pediatrician, you know, regular accompaniment during his early years so that he can actually develop as the best of his abilities. He put it all in the report on the day. This was like straight away, and I was like blown away. I was like, wow, this is is fantastic. This is what you were looking for, yeah. yeah. Hopefully we'll get somewhere, and like, you know, his title as Senior Medical Officer in the HSE was like, Might carry some weight, yeah. Yeah. This is great. Then he goes, right, so these are all the forms. So he prints out all the forms, and he helps me one by one to fill them out really quickly, as quick as we could, 
and he literally forwarded them to the department. So he, he wasn't letting us go and do it on our own. Like he was the opposite. Yeah, because there was an he believed there was an element of urgency and early intervention. Yeah, yeah. He knew we weren't the kind of parents that were a lot of like I've heard a lot of parents. That, so I've been told by the professionals in there like they take it badly and it takes them a long time to deal with it and all that. Whereas we were just like hands on, like let's go, let's do the best we can for him, you know. So he helped us, he filled out all the forms with us and he forwarded on the forms, which was me as a parent self-referring him to the early intervention team already at two years old, me referring him to the assessment of needs, which doesn't need to even happen, but he said, look, you have to refer yourself anyway, even though I've already assessed his needs and I've already declared them, mm-hmm. the system wants you to go through the ass- assessment of need process, which should only take three months by the Disability Act by law but actually takes much, much longer. And I was like, this is confusing. He was like, I know it's confusing. I know it's horrible, but look, this is the system that it is. But you can also refer yourself directly to the early intervention team. And hopefully that will speed things up and with my recommendation and everything. So we were kind of like, okay, let's see what happens. And then basically since then, we've just had like um, letters, like uh, letters and letters and letters. I actually, I went through them all the other night when the journalist from The Independent contacted me and kind of cataloged the whole thing. Like, and there's been so many letters and so many like apologies, different apologies. So you can see that they are trying. But there seems to just be a broken system because the only time we've ever actually gone in with me. So, so, when, so when will you be seen? I mean, when is this 38 months even up? And by the way, you're not the only one. Because I'm looking here, there's, there's text coming in. My daughter, um, has, uh, the HSC has stated 50 months. And it, 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 it depends on the region. Like I spoke yeah. to Anne. I spoke to Anne Rabbit on Sunday. She actually reached out to well, me. She, well, she'll be on the show next week. We're going to talk to her yeah, about all of this. She seems generally invested. Absolutely. I mean, and I've complimented Anne Rabbit in the past, and I genuinely believe she wants to help. But I believe she's caught between a rock and a hard place. That The problem is, if you don't have staff, you can't no, improve no, a service. Staff, no, no, sorry. Uh, that's wrong. She said that the 1,300 staff, they just took on over 200 more. 230, 91, yeah. yeah. Nine, 91 regional teams around the 26 counties, right? That means if you were to divide that evenly, which probably isn't divided, that's around 14 on average professionals per region, right? But her questions and the same questions I asked her were, how many actual hands-on therapy sessions are happening during a work week of 39 whatever hours of those professionals? Like if you're an occupational therapist and you're working in the early intervention team, how many hours a week do you actually sit down on the ground with a child and actually do interactive play and interactive therapies like they would in the private sector like that was her question as well and she said I've asked that question and I've, I've never been given an answer well she does agree with you by the way that it's not acceptable to receive a letter saying yeah, that no, you're waiting 38 months no online sessions are offered to you which is an absolute joke like that's well, like, that's pointless you know, that's yeah, like trying pointless. to take care of an elderly person in a, in a nursing home over a zoom session no it no. doesn't make any sense no, no, um, no. And, and I know you're concerned. And by the way, I, I don't, I mean, how are you at the moment? Because for you, you're, as you mentioned, your child is your bundle of joy. He's your pre- most precious thing in the world. And so it's very difficult for you as a parent to watch him regress, I suppose, sometimes uh, and not be able to get the help that you really need. So, I mean, how are you and how is it affecting your, you know, life at the moment, well, it's, it has a huge effect on us, like on our personal life, on our men- mental health, on our financial situation on our career has an effect on everything because we give everything for our kids like as you know when yep. when you have more exceptional needs you ha- you kind of have to give more like because you know your heart just speaks louder than anything else so you're not going to just neglect them like some people oh, I should just put them in a crash and you'll socialize and I'm like you know that's not going to work simple yeah it's not that simple yeah so 
like yeah it has it has a massive effect and there's also no there's no support i've never got a phone call from anybody from the hsc saying like how's your mental health would you like a, a therapy session with somebody who, who can listen to you like that never happens as well yeah but you have to remember there might be five thousand autistic kids on the waiting lists but there's a mum and dad for each of them as well who are suffering. I'm gonna, you've opened up a can of worms here today because I'm looking, somebody says here, assessment is now 1,250, but worth it. Uh, we were told three-year waiting list. Uh, that's what they call early intervention. We also pay for speech therapy, HSE, my arse. Uh, what are we actually paying taxes for? No, no, and I looked at the report as well. Anne Rabbit did a very, very big report there six months ago, I think. And on the reform that they're doing and everything, they mention all the numbers and there's there's billions, like there's something like two billion there. Like Oh the money is there. The, the money see money on, well hang on, but James, money was never the issue. When it comes to health or mental health or physical health or whatever it happens to be in this country, money money has issue? never been the issue. Do you know what the issue is now? If they have one thousand three hundred staff there on the ground as therapists, right? Who's administering them? Absolutely. And do they have autistic children? Like I'll give myself up for one of those positions to administer one of those teams I work for free man because I have an autistic child so I have a burning fire in my belly to help other parents and other children do they have that same ambition and that same passion if they don't maybe that's not the job for them put them somewhere else because look and I'm not pointing well well, well, hang on well hang on we have the head of the HZ um, who's earning 430,000 euro a year well if he had an autistic son I guarantee you things would be different. But, but look, we are com- constantly fighting battles when it comes to a bad health service. We talk about, you know, the money that's not being used for mental health. And we were talking about uh, over the last few weeks how difficult it is to get mental health services. We're also talking about, you know, disabilities and people trying to get uh, respite. We're talking about children not being able to get services uh, when it comes to, you know, what you're, what you're referring to for Nicholas, right? We're also talking about last week, of course, the, the scandal of CAMS and children being over-medicated. For, and all of these things. And we have a CEO sitting there earning 430000 a year in any other company. If this disaster was happening or this mess was happening, people's heads would be on the block. But it doesn't seem to be with the HSE. But that, yeah, but they can't because the, the, isn't the public sector always like that? If you've worked in the public sector, anybody who's listening, you'll, you'll know that. Like, once somebody goes three years into the job, they're permanent and they're it's just job for life. Yeah. They just sit back and there's no accountability. You know, during well, somebody COVID, has to be accountable. Somebody was working from home on all those salaries, man. They were they were in their holiday home down. Well, Paul Reid was asked on radio the other day, it, "Will there be accountability when it comes to those three hundred fifty children?" And by the way, the audit still has to happen of cams across the country, so there know. could be a lot more. So, will, I mean, and look at the money this is going to cost taxpayers. And I don't want to bring this down to money, but all of those parents for those children will be compensated or will have to be compensated for the damage that was done to all those children. That's taxpayers' money. So, is there going to be accountability? He wouldn't answer the question. So he won't answer. So is there going to be accountability for your son sitting waiting three years for early intervention? No. So he'd be waiting. He'd be waiting until he's nearly seven. The date that was given was August twenty twenty four. Right? It was on the last time I got a statement of uh, a statement of service that would be delivered to me, which essentially was exactly what the same doctor said on the third of March twenty twenty. I got that letter just a couple of months ago, where it said August twenty twenty four is the provisional date, which could be extended, obviously, for the unforeseen circumstances, which obviously everybody is dealing with. But uh, approximately August twenty twenty four, where he'll have the intake assessment, which hopefully is not another assessment. Hopefully, it's actually okay. But but, but James, I, I, and you understand the point that 
early intervention is vital when it comes to children with autism, when it comes to children with any uh, learning difficulty as well. Early intervention is the key. So if you can teach them a new way of learning, which I found out myself to my own son and daughter, if you can teach them a new way of learning, that is going to make their future better. But if we're waiting around or you're waiting around for three to five years to even get to see somebody who's going to tell you what you should be doing, sure, that's pointless. That's not going to work. Actually, do me a favour, James. Just stay there for a second because I know Bevan is there as well. Bevan, you're an Ireland's classic kid. How are you doing, Bevan? Good, Nyland. Yourself? Good. You've been listening to James and he's been quite outspoken uh, today in the media and uh, over the last while in relation to his son and, and rightly so to discuss mm-hmm. it with the system. You're in a similar situation. I am. My son is uh, 15. He now has a diagnosis of um, he's high function in autism, dyspraxia and attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he was like James, it, like my son was quite young when we started noticing things. He was three. And for the last, how many years is that? 11, yep. 12 years? We've been in and out of the system and still haven't got a proper assessment. That's incredible. It's absolutely James, ridiculous. this is what's ahead of you. You know, her son is 15 now and they still haven't got a proper assessment. Well, I, my advice to James would be beg, steal or borrow, do everything privately. If I had known back then what I know now, I would have done, I've done a lot privately. I got to him assessed privately, I got occupational therapy privately, uh, physiotherapy, everything. Um, Which is good, by the way, is quite expensive. And I know I've been there, I've been down is, this route. But yeah. like I said, you beg, steal or borrow. Yeah. Um, I do anything I could. Of course um, you would, but yeah. he's it's his mental health now that's affected, mm-hmm. um, and he he was with CAMS twice um, because he had suicidal ideation. I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay, we got through it, um, but he's still and, yeah, and he's still way, quite low on himself, you know. And that takes a, to- a huge toll. And I'm sure James listening to James today. I know how passionate James is about it. I can hear it in his voice. But and it takes a huge toll on your life and mm. on James's life and on your relationships as well. I, yeah, I imagine yeah. you know husbands and wives are partners. You know, it takes a huge toll on everything. Absolutely, absolutely. But like he was with CAMS for a couple of sessions and in the end they told us that he would have to be referred back to the disability services because he wasn't a candidate for medication. Mm. That was in, I am not rooting out the letters here now while I was waiting. Uh, That was in 2019, I was told. um, His referral had been backdated to 2017 and I still haven't heard anything from them. That's nearly five years. It's five years in May. James, you're listening to, to Bevan. I'm sure it breaks your heart thinking, is this the future for me? Well, yeah, that's why we contemplate just leaving because, like, even though that's mm. just as difficult of a task as doing anything else, is like getting on an airplane is even tougher than, but, like, just, just, um, like, there, there just feels, it just feels like it's, it's literally either deliberate neglect because they literally just don't care enough. Or it's neglect because of a broken system, or it's both. No, I, I, I would go with the latter. It's the broken system. Yeah, I think so too. Well, and I, I do believe there are people within the system who care. But do I, they have the authority, or like, do they have the access to the spreadsheet, which is supposedly this mis- uh, mysterious waiting list system that, like, doesn't really exist? Is it pen and paper system? Is it an Excel sheet that some people have access to, other people don't have access to? And I'm not making noise as well. And I said this to Anne Rabbit as well. I'm not making noise because I want you to give me a favour and say, oh, should we pop you up to the top of the list there and you'll be grand now. You'll be quiet there now, little fella. No, that's not what I'm doing. I'm, like, I want help, obviously. If you can get me one hour, the recommended amount is 20 hours a week assistance from a multidisciplinary team in early intervention globally. That's the standard. If they would give me one hour a week in the health centre, which is five minutes walk from my house, which is brand new, Kulak Health Centre, 
All the professionals are there full time, all working 40 hours a week each. If I can get one hour a week from that group of professionals, I would be delighted. Just one hour. That's it. I'll bring them down. It's not much to ask for, is it really? One hour. That's all. From what? Is there 14 staff there? If that's the average? Yeah, I don't don't know. How many hours is 14 by 40? How many hours work week is there for me to take one of those hours? That's all I want. I mean, Bevan, it's not much to ask for, is it? No, absolutely not. No. I mean, we shouldn't have to be asking for it. I mean, it's a constant, constant fight. Yeah. Um, it's it, it would wear you down, you know, but I, I think it's the parent in us that keeps us going. Yeah. It keeps us fighting for our children, do you know? Yeah. And, and, um, you are, and you are right, unfortunately. We live in a two-tier system. Um, oh, yeah. A two-tier society. And if you and there's a lot of people, Bevan, I, I don't know your personal financial circumstances or yours, James, for that matter, but there are a lot of people who can't afford even yeah. for educational assessments, you know, to go into town there where it is over on the south side of town. I can't remember the name of the place. I used to bring my daughter over there to try and get her seen, the hours for, you know, for um, an SNA, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, but to try and get those hours and get a report and pay the 650 quid or the 700 quid rather than waiting for the public system to do it for you. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, so it's, it's another, crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Now, I have to say the school that my son is in primary school wasn't great. Um, the secondary school he's in now is fantastic. They yeah. have um, a unit. Yeah. And I have to say, without them, I'd be lost. Yeah, and, and again, it does depend on the school and how seriously they yeah. take it as well. And yeah. how has it affected your, your own personal life, Bevan? I mean, this must take a huge toll on you too, because obviously it, he's your son. He's your, it does, yeah. yeah. And I mean, he has um, he has toileting issues yeah. still, which is probably his, his main cause of his um, yeah. his low mood. I won't say he's depressed. He's in a depressed state. Um, but yeah, it's hard, and my partner here it wouldn't be his dad, yeah, um, biological dad. But yeah, uh, yeah he finds it hard too. Yeah. It has caused a couple of rows. Of course, you know? it does. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah. I'm sure James has experienced that too. You know, where both of you are at loggerheads trying to do the best, and you both, by the way, want the best mm. result for the child. But maybe you have a different view of how it should be done, or whatever. Or, exactly. Yeah. 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 James, I I hope you guess. Um, look, I'm going to speak into Anne Rabbit next week and I will put your questions directly to her on the air um, and I will be putting the questions that a lot of people have asked us on the air to her in relation to what they're going to do to change this. And I don't know whether she can. One, one thing that I'd love to... I mean, I will speak to her because she said she's going to have a meeting with me as well and she yeah. said she'll have someone from the HSE on the call as well, which would be lovely. But um, I read the report and there seems to be like a working group that they're putting together which is supposed to be... I think the term was used, officials from a working group will be kind of guiding the, the process for this transformation that they're trying to put on. Why don't they, why don't they hire parents of autistic Absolutely. children for yep. the working group? Like, I'll put my name up. I know a bunch of people who are super passionate, who've already left their careers. Who are just and you'll do it for free if you had to. Well, we would do it for free, but I'm sure and they have course. a massive budget for it as well. We could <laughs> get it as our job and we could be in there and we'll do a hell of a job, I guarantee you. And there'll be people from well, all I, well, well, look, there's nobody better than yourself, Bevan and James, to talk yeah. to other people or to decide what way it should be done because you've been through the system. Even and the scope, and like, you've seen the failures. System. Yeah, I know. Even the scope know. of system, like she spoke to me about, it, like there needs to be a new system. Like all the private sector companies have accountability because they have like an online platform where they have KPIs. They have to reach the KPIs. They have to do a certain amount of work for them to be considered actually working. You know, and if the, the main question that Anne had, if she didn't get an answer, was how many hours per week are these professionals actually seeing children in person, sitting down and actually partaking? I, in I, I, and again, I would agree with you. The private system seems to work more efficiently than the public system. There's a reason for that. 
And I think most of us know the reason for that. But anyway, yeah. but li- yeah. listen, uh, Bevan and James, listen, thank you very much indeed. So many people, by the way, texting in a bit, very similar situations. I appreciate the two of you coming on the air. Unfortunately, I'm running out of time rapidly here. But I know there's more people who want to come on after the break as well. And I do want to talk about something else too. Neve, you're an Ireland's Classic Cats. How are you doing, Neve? How are you doing, Niall? Um, so I have a 17-year-old son who has a diagnosis of ASD. Okay. And also the comorbidity of um, CDC, which is like dyspraxia. Okay. And um, attention deficit disorder. Um, he had a diagnosis when he was age seven, and we had to go privately for that because the wait list at that stage was two years. Oh, gosh. Um, and, that, and that was how long ago? So that's, that's going back 10 that's years ten ago. 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, the only reason it was picked up was in primary school. He was our first child. We just thought he's high functioning. We just thought he was really smart. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and you would know you're a secondary school teacher, so I'm you're a fair enough. Secondary school teacher, and my family's background is education. So we just thought he, like he, was always very sciencey and knew everything. Knew very all the focused, facts. yeah, yeah, extremely focused. Now I'd know it's obsession, but um, his reading as well was fantastic. Um, so we never knew anything, and it was. Thanks be to God, Miss O'Connor in junior infants in St. Paul's and Rathout who picked it up. And from that, we worked with the school to the best of our ability, but then we had to go privately. To can I say, by the success. way, can I say can I, a big shout out, as they say in radio, to all the primary school teachers around the country? Because without them, a lot of the time, we don't pick up on these things. Well, I agree 100%. Now, you said I'm a post-primary teacher. I've started to do my master's in special educational needs. And one thing that has become apparent from since my son started secondary school is the lack of information that secondary school teachers have in how to deal with students, in particular with um, autism, because they don't receive training unless they do it separately. Specifically want to do it, of course, yeah. Yes, yes. And when you're post-primary... So so are you telling me it's not in the general teacher training um, you know, on how well, to pick up and how to help a child who might have specific needs. There is a very short module. Okay. And it's kind of general um, okay. disabilities that they because deal with. Because I would always say it's better to keep a child in mainstream classes. Now, don't well, get me wrong, obviously, to no, have no, them we've in... No, ma- we've mainstreamed our son yeah. all the way. Yeah. Um, I know, my own daughter uh, had dyspraxia and I tried desperately to keep her in mainstream classes, which I did. Um, at one stage, we took her out um, uh, in fifth class in primary school and we put her into a reading unit. And I felt at the time it actually regressed her and made her it worse. Does because socially, they need to learn from their peers. Absolutely. They learn that. I, and unfortunately for her, she was the better of the children in the reading unit. Yeah. So I felt the rest were holding her back. So, so I took her back out again and put yeah. her back into mainstream school before she went to secondary. And she has done so well. Yeah, you, you, I mean, she has something to aim for in yeah. that. In that instance. Well, she's finished school now. She, she's leaving certain everything at the stage okay. now, so she's finished, so she's doing grand now. <laughs> but, but in saying that, it was the best decision I ever made to keep yeah. her in mainstream school. Yeah, well, I, I'd agree. I mean, I'd be all for um, inclusion in schools yeah. and the masters I'm doing in DCU. Yeah. Um, they're all about inclusion to the best of the school's ability. But there's resources aren't there. Okay, so getting back to the system at the moment, and I have reams of people who want to come on the air and talk to us about how they're waiting three years or they're getting letters saying it's 38 months or five years before you even get an appointment for an assessment. How do we fix this broken system? One thing that I noticed, so my son was in CAMS only because he had an assessment, um, a diagnosis of ADHD. But CAMS only provided medication. 
and that was well, that dreaded risperidone that has come up. Of course, we've seen that over the last couple My of weeks. My God, that that was it. It was medication, medication. So was that the first no. port of call when you went to Cam's was, yes. let's just medicate him? He's been on this medication for 10 years and it was only before, God, I'd say about three months now, he decided to come off it and we supported it and it has made a huge difference to him. He is now not do falling into Do you think he's a better person without the medication? He feels he's a better person. Yeah. And well, that's all that everything, And everything that comes with that because then you have him strive, you know, he has greater yeah. faith in himself and sees that we trust his decisions. But... So that was CAMS. The disability services are greatly under-resourced, and we know that. But one thing I noticed was, and I, I don't want to be controversial here, is that there are young women, predominantly, who go into psychology. And they're in the HSC. I don't know if there's encouragement for um, getting to management or anything like that, but they tend to get married and they tend to have children. So you'd meet with a psychologist Three months later, that psychologist could be gone and then you have to start all over again. And psychology being something that's so specific to having a relationship that it was kind of back to square one so, and so the you, child would yeah, develop so you'd bond, again. You'd, you'd, in other words, they'd mature this relationship with somebody who was trying to help them and all of a sudden the person was gone on maternity yeah. leave on a couple of occasions and, and you had to yeah. go to somebody else. Okay, and I, I can understand why that would cause an issue. Well, it's and by the way, women have to have babies. You have them. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, anyway. I'm not being controversial. But if, so, I not include more men, but in somehow retaining the staff. I you know, because, I, get, I get what you're saying. No, I do get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So that was, for us, was a huge problem. Um, in that you'd go, you'd have, you'd think you've made headway, and then you'd have to start all over again. Yeah. And that went on for a while, and... But I have to say in the services, they were brilliant. But two years ago, we met with one psychologist and it was the first time ever that somebody turned around and asked how the family is, how we were doing, how my son's siblings were doing. And she, now she has just left two weeks ago. Okay. But um, it made a world of difference. Because, because, if, because if your mental health is no good, you're no good dealing with the situation. Exactly. Yeah. She also liaised with the school and nobody had ever done this. So in other words, you're, what you're saying to me is the structure of how we're dealing with children with disabilities is wrong from start to finish. Absolutely. And people that are gone in there, the people working there, they have good intentions, but it's the system. So how is, why is it the private system works better and more efficiently? Because they're managing themselves. Okay. It's as simple as that. So it's the HSE is the problem? Yes. Yes. Okay. They are under-resourced. I feel they don't care. They don't, uh, the, the, and they don't care about but the, the But the, the, the money is there. Is that money is not the issue. But we know the money is going to the top. <laughs> when, when you're paying somebody 430000 a year yeah. to be the CEO yeah. of it. You know. And it is the people that are actually out there and that really do care. The people that, you know, they're going into psychology, they're going to work in the HSE, they're not going there to make a profit, to make money. They're going there because they want to give something. They want to help people. And All right, well, look, Eve, I've loads of people to get to. I've run out of time, but listen, thank you for sharing your story, and I hope he, your young man, I hope he starts doing better. I hope he does well okay, in the future. He's doing really well now. Good, good. Doing. <laughs> okay, listen, thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you coming on the air. Leanne, you're an Ireland's classic kid. How are you doing, Leanne?
Hiya, not too bad. I could fill four hours with people who want to come on and talk to us about their, their <laughs> child and, and how long they've waited and how the system has failed them. I mean, your son is 11 now. He's 11 now. Um, I class him as my son, but I fostered him from when he was three days old. He's blood-related, so I, I had no experience of children. But uh, as he was in hospital, signs and symptoms and everything came up and he was referred to the early intervention very early in the day. And we were three to four years waiting before he got seen to by anybody in the early intervention. Now the hospital and the doctor in the hospital diagnosed him with a special condition. I don't want to say on the air, mm-hmm. but because it wasn't written down in writing, the early intervention wouldn't entertain him to say no, he's not suitable for for our service. Even though social workers are fighting, saying this child has a huge amount of disabilities, yep. named all the disabilities, ADHD, fine motor skills, sensory, everything. Still, because this specific diagnosis wasn't on the form, she said no. So we had to go back. I had to search out a private doctor in the country. There's only one in the country. It cost me five and a half thousand. Five and a half thousand? Yes, euro. Okay, okay. Just to get this diagnosis. Everybody was saying he had it, but nobody was really willing to put pen to paper. And even with the social workers going back and forth to the hospital, no, 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 we know this mm-hmm. is it. They weren't willing to put it on. And you and you penalty. couldn't and you couldn't keep waiting months and months and no, months to get appointments. No, I so, yeah. it because yeah. the older he was getting, I knew it was going no, to be more. No time when time passes, it's more difficult <clears> to deal with. Of course, you want to you want early intervention. You want to be able to deal with it sooner rather than later because exactly. the more time that passes, the worse it gets. Yeah, and I could see, like, even when he was two, he wasn't able to sit up, he wasn't able to hold himself. So, and he wasn't getting seen to because of one little diagnosis. And it's so difficult for parents because I've been there when you're waiting yeah. for those milestones or they're not holding their head up properly or they're falling slightly to the left or the right or they won't stand up or they're not talking when they should be talking. And it's very difficult yeah. for parents to deal with that when you don't get the help that's required. Exactly, and then eventually we got the diagnosis and then eventually we got back into the early intervention. After you spent five grand. Exactly, and then after a couple of years with the early intervention, we get referred to CAMS. That's another three years waiting before you get seen to CAMS. And then when you get into CAMS, straight away you wanted to offer a medication. I said, no. So, I said, uh, so, so are you telling me on your first visit to CAMS? We went through a whole process of meet and greet and you know, explanation, and you said you've run... Like a triage, year, so therapy. to speak, yes. Yeah. And then you were recommending medication. I said, I don't want medication. And a lot of I parents said, don't, yeah. Because I know. Yeah. it wasn't only ADHD he was going there for. He has a whole array of problems. And the medication they were offering was for ADHD Pacific. So what, said, what, do they, what do they offer him, Ritalin? Ritalin, yeah. And okay. I said, no. And then I said, I rang the social workers, and they were like, yeah, okay, Try it, see if it works. They weren't too keen either. I said, look, he's getting worse, I need a hand. We tried it, and the side effects were horrific. Horrific. The biggest biggest problem for parents is, you know, when you get in and somebody says, well, medication, the word medication, and you're talking about a lot of, sometimes, the psychotropic drugs. um, And and you have to be very careful about giving those kind of drugs to a child. And and we all understand that, and we trust doctors. You know, we're supposed to trust them anyway, certainly. Uh, but we've seen over the last two weeks, certainly in what's happened in Kerry, you know, that we couldn't trust those doctors. Because, I know. When I heard know. that, I was panicking. I was like, oh, my God. Thank God. So, so how is he now? He got. He's 11 now. He has huge problems still. He is still at century. And as the years goes on, he, he regresses. Yeah. So 
even though he's 11, he's like a seven-year-old. Where, where do you, where do you, I mean, the way the system is right now, very quickly, because I've to go into a break now, unfortunately, and where do you see him in 10 years? Well, I was told unless he gets to help he needs, he's going to end up in full-time care. Oh, gosh. Oh, which gosh. I do not want that. Like, even to get his eyes tested is three years max waiting. Three years to get his eyes tested? Yeah, I had to pay privately for that as well. And I was told there's only one ophthalmology in the country at the time for Crumlin and private. Okay, that's that's just unacceptable. Listen, Leanne, thank you very much indeed for coming on the air and sharing your story with us. There's so many people want to share their stories. And I will put all this down, Rabbit, when she's in the studio next week talking to us. Uh, and so many people still want to come on. And we'll take one or two more after the break. Nicole, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Nicole? Hi, Niall. How are you doing? Okay, um, okay so it says that on my screen here, we are the service. Uh, so yes. tar- And you're tired of being ignored. Oh, totally, yeah. Like, yeah, we bombard, we bombard the HSE and the early intervention with phone calls and emails. And often it takes weeks to wait that we hear back or we're being sent out um, handouts yeah. or visuals for our children um, or courses. I mean, the courses, they're great. Some of them are great, some of them aren't as useful. And I'm happy to do them, attend them. But at the end of the day, we need kind of in-person support for us and for other kids. Yeah. Um, I know now, I know the pandemic played havoc with that, obviously, as well, which didn't Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, we took, and I think that I was only a couple of weeks ago talking to you about when the whole, when the whole 100 euro bonus was um, yeah. <laughs> revealed. Um, and I was telling you that we take over basically from, from physiotherapy, from occupational therapy. Yeah, you should have got the bonus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, no, I'm not saying that, but... Um, I know, but I do get the, yeah, I do but, get the point um, you're making. You you are being you are basically the people who are the service at oh, the moment. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and as a thank you, we don't even get respite. So it's really I'm in a kind of um, I'm in North Clare, and it's absolutely not possible to get any. So respite. So are you not getting respite at all for your daughter? Your daughter is autistic and has mild cerebral palsy. She does, yeah. Yeah, and you're not getting any respite at all. No, we had um, um, we had respite for three hours, but it was on a day that I was in Annis working uh, while my daughter was having respite. I was like, that's not the whole point of respite. That's not the point of respite. Um, like, you know, I need someone to come to the house and, and while well, I can be at home and actually do the work that I'm supposed to do um, at work, uh, at home. Um, so I was just told there is no respite for me. There is no one available that, that drives all the, way, all the way up, which is about 35 minutes from Ennis to where I live. And... Um, take Julia out for three hours a week. Mm-hmm. So, and, what, and what is the answer? When I hear everybody today say more or less the same thing uh, to, do, to tell yeah, us that the system is a disaster, how do you fix a broken system? Oh, you can't. I think the only answer on this is get staffing. Mm. But, yeah, but, but even yeah. but even I don't even know if staffing is the answer. I mean, Anne Rabbit is saying she wants to fill approximately 230 posts by 2022, right? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if that's the answer. I don't think that's the answer. I mean, you can get all the staff in the world, but if they're not working well together, well, then there's no point. No. I think there should be also, um, you know, more of the therapists going into the schools. Um, I heard you talking earlier about mainstream school. And, like, we took, actually, our daughter out of mainstream school because she wasn't going anywhere. Sorry. Mm. Um, She wasn't going anywhere. So she's now in a special needs school in Ennis. And um, that was, for us, it was the best decision. So, um, mm. 
to do. Okay, well, no, I, I do get what you're saying, and, and it's a shocking system. The system is a complete and utter mess. And as I said, I will be talking to Anne Rabbit next week. Just finally, sorry for cutting you a little bit short. Finally, just to, in relation to this, I've got two minutes, Maliki, uh, Maliki Steenson, uh, family law solicitor, and dealing with it, obviously, Tusla and CAMS and everything else on a regular basis, you know, through legal uh, ramifications. I mean, the system is a mess, isn't it? The, the biggest problem with the system is that there seems to be no accountability. And I mean, I listened to the report on CAMS and Kerry the other day, and I listened to um, the highest paid civil servant in the world, I think, when he was asked, would there be any disciplinary actions? And he, he wouldn't answer the question. And from what I can see is that nobody is accountable in this country. We have the, the highest paid people in the world as civil servants running the most dysfunctional health system. And CAMS is the whole health system is. But if, I, I'm listening to parents here saying that they, they're getting letters in writing saying, you know, that we won't be able to give you an appointment for early intervention for their two-year-old or three-year-old, you know, to get in there quickly and sort out, you know, help to sort a problem, you know, for three to four years. By the time you get an appointment with CAMS to see them, never mind getting any, um, any um, actual work done, the child will nearly be an adult. So... You know, early intervention to most people means at the soonest possible time, not 10 years later. But, you know, a few years ago we had the children's referendum and we were told ad nauseum about children forced and how we were going to protect children. Everywhere we're in the system, they don't give a damn. We had the, the grace... Um, well, it's unfair to say they don't give a damn. They do, they do care, but it's, it's the system is disjointed. Well, well, you know, we're at this years. If you look at the Grace report in to the the child Grace from Tulsa's report on Tulsa. Like we're awash with reports. We put down whole rainforests to write reports. And it's report after report, which is basically just dumped in a basement. Okay, but but Malachi, and, you're te- and you're telling me all the things that's wrong with it. You've got twenty seconds to tell me how you fix it. I, I know in 20 seconds won't do that, but how do you how do you fix it? It's easy for us all to criticise and tell us tell everybody what's wrong with the system, well, but how do you fix it? Within, within the whole health system, we stop employing administrators and we actually employ professionals to do the job. So, I mean, in other words, get rid of the folder holders. Yeah, get rid of the folder well, holders. I mean, it, the figures that came out for the amount of people that were employed by the HSE during COVID was 10,000, and I think 8,000 of them were pen pushers. You know, that is lunacy. And, you know, again, we come back to the, the, the CEO. If, if you cost, if, if we look at what's happening in Kerry. Right? Uh, that's going to cost it's taxpayers going, millions, yes. It's going to cost millions and nobody's head will roll, right? Now, we have Paul Reid, who's on almost a half a million a year to run the health system. Now, perhaps if he stopped spending his time on RTE and actually dealt with the company, or the, you know, the, the, the HSC that he's supposed to be running, we might get somewhere. And... You know, we're continually told, okay. oh, we can't talk about specific cases, we can't talk about this, we can't talk about that, DDPR and everything else. Uh, all of these things are used so that we cover up and cover up. And, you know, people complained about when the church were running hospitals and all of that. I think most people would agree that we had a better health Smaller, system. Yeah, but it was a smaller population, Maliki. With the greatest respect, it was a much smaller population too. Maliki, I tell you what, Maliki, I can't, unfortunately, run out of time. I think this should run again tonight, my lad. Okay, okay, we will. We will. We'll talk about it again. All right. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.